Liverpool 3 0. Corner taken quickly, Origi! Hello and welcome to the Anfield Central podcast. Four goals for Liverpool against Man United on the way to hopefully four trophies in the cabinet come the end of the season. I'm joined by James as usual. And it's been a nice few days to be a Liverpool fan, hasn't it? Yeah, it's not been too bad. Good result uh, on Saturday. Good result last night. So getting two go two over the the Manchester clubs, it's always a good time. Yeah, absolutely. And well, we'll just get straight into it then. A four nil win over Manchester United at Anfield. That's nine nil over the course of the season. If you count in the Old Trafford game as well, it, it doesn't get better than that, does it? From a Liverpool fan's perspective. Yeah, I think when you put it into that context, nine nil. It's the first time it's it's ever happened where we you know we haven't conceded a goal against United that I can remember in my lifetime, home or away. Um, I think it just goes to show where the two clubs are at the moment. I think Gary Neville was close to tears last night um, on <laughs> on Sky. So yeah, I think as as, as bad as people saying United are, um, I think especially last night and you can go back to the game in October. Liverpool are just streets ahead of what Manchester United are at the moment. Um, if, if if Everton can play that Manchester United team off the park last weekend, and you know I don't think there was any doubt for any Liverpool fans going into the game. I think if there was any any small little issues that you know Liverpool fans might have had, I think it was because of it is Manchester United. It's the name rather than what the team are capable of producing at the moment, and then. You saw that lineup of Phil Jones, Maguire, and Lindelof in the back three, and I think you know everyone in that Liverpool team was just licking the lips. Yeah, absolutely. And this was one of the games um, that was, you know, like you say, listed as a potential banana skin, I guess, for Liverpool in this final run to the end of the season. But I think Gary Neville said it on on the on the coverage of the game that, <laughs> in fact, this is probably on paper Liverpool's easiest game um, because the way that Man United have been playing. Recently, they're an absolute mess, and the stark difference between the two clubs was just so clear to see in basically every aspect of the game last night. I think the fact that Allison completed more passes than the Manchester United midfield combined just goes to show where they are at the moment. Um, and I, th- I think you know Jamie Carragher said it in punditry last night that even when Liverpool have been in the situations where Man United are at the moment. You know, were you know United were going for titles after titles, and you know we had Roy Hodgson in charge, and we had the back end of the Benitez era where you know we weren't as great. You know, we, we were never embarrassed like that. You know, we, we never we never lost four nil, five nil. Um, looked beatable from from the first minute, like you said last night. There was a thing with Liverpool; they always had something about them that no matter how bad they were playing in the big games, you know, they they were more resilient and. You're just looking through that United team, and there's no, there's no leaders, no character, there's no identity of how they want to play. You know, I think they've only played a back five twice under, or the first time under Ralph Ragnick, and it's just, you know, why would you want to, you know, just throw it in to, into a big game like this? I think it was just sort of a, a damage limitations approach from United yesterday, trying not to lose by too much, and you know, to see how much they fall, and despite. The investment, you know, the level investment they've had, you know, time for Rand Sancho. You know, obviously Ronaldo wasn't playing uh, last night, but 
you know, the amount of money United have spent over the last 10 years for them to be in this position that they're in, it's completely chalk and cheese to where Liverpool are at the moment. Yeah, so let, let's focus on, on Liverpool a, a little bit. I think a lot of the talk post-match has been about how bad Man United were compared to how great Liverpool were. And the one man that encapsulated that the most, I guess, was Thiago, um, whose performance last night was, you know, absolutely fantastic, as well as the stuff we're used to seeing from him, you, you know, those kind of disguised passes and controlling the tempo of the midfield and the silky way that he strokes the ball around the pitch. He was also, you know, putting tackles in. He was getting right amongst it. He was not shirking any any responsibility. He was doing the dirty work just as well as he was doing the really flashy stuff. And I mean, I think that's his best performance in a Liverpool shirt to date. And we've been saying for a while now that the Thiago that we signed from Bayern Munich, now we've got that settled back form, we've got a settled midfield. We'll see the real Thiago. And last night was probably the best example since he arrived at the club offer. Yeah, 100% agree. I think, you know, you had you had pundits last season, uh, people like Didi Haman saying he's not a Liverpool kind of player, he's going to slow Liverpool down. You know, you know me and you have said you know, last season and this season that if you can put a settled team around him that isn't swapping and changing all the time, that's when you will get the best out of him. And I think having somebody like Fabinho in the team, you know, Makes Fabinho's life a hell, makes Thiago's life a hell of a lot easier. He's not as scared as losing the ball as much. That's why he's playing these no look passes. He's he's trying to take men on because he knows if I mess up, you know, I've still got Fabinho, I've got Matip, I've got Van Dijk behind me to clear it up, and it just makes his life a lot easier. And you know, listen, he looks up when he's got the ball, and if he hasn't got Diaz, Mane, Salah, he's, he's you know he's got Jota and Firmino coming off the bench. He's got. You know, a catalogue of, of attacking players to pass the ball to, which, you know, he, he just knows that even if I play a half-decent ball, it doesn't have to be the greatest ball in the world, but if I just play a half-decent pass, one of these five are going to you know, create a chance and tuck it away or can, could lay it off for somebody else. So I definitely think having Fabinho next to him brings out the best in Thiago, but some of the passes he, he was playing yesterday... and. I think my favourite moment from Thiago yesterday wasn't any of his passes. It was when he went in for the, the diving header pass to uh, to Diaz on the edge of the box <laughs> where he just sort of leapt like a salmon to, to just try and lay it off and create a chance. And I think, you know, you saw it when he was coming off the pitch yesterday. He, he was laughing. And I think if you're coming off the pitch laughing against Manchester United, I think you know you've put a good performance in. Yeah, it's been a good day. Really embarrassed from those Man United midfielders, didn't you, yesterday? Obviously, probably one of the best things for Liverpool fans to see last night was Mo Salah getting two goals, um, as we've played since mid-February, and goals had dried up a little bit for him. Um, He was obviously still contributing a lot. He got an assist yesterday for for, for Diaz, that assist that the Etihad, um, etc., and still very much a threat. But it was just nice to see him kind of get that monkey off his back a little bit, get back um, among the goals, and you know he looks absolutely sharp as hell as well. Yeah, I, I, you know, I guess it does help him playing against arguably the worst defence in the league, um, which you know, you've got to take advantage of. And like you said, even when he hasn't been scoring goals, he has been setting goals up. Um, the assist for Mane was unbelievable at the Etihad and you know, came close to scoring a couple of times against Man City at the weekend. And you do start to think when, when it, he's definitely thinking, when is this goal going to come? Because he's coming closer and closer and closer every week. 
Um, but that that goal, the first, especially the first one, was just vintage Salah. Just take it in, you know, diagonal run across the defender, get to the ball first, and great first touch, and then just bury it. And then he did just think when he missed, uh, when he he missed, Wampasaka got back and cleared. When he went one on one with the keeper, I don't know if that was before his second one or just after. And you started to think, or you know, that was the seller of the last couple of weeks. Um, but the two goals he took, you know, I know he got a bit of luck with the second one, looping over the keeper. But in terms of his work rate uh, and the the assist for Diaz, I mean, Diaz just needs to stick his foot on it. You know, that's all he needs to do. He, the ball is weighted perfectly. There's no no worry that it's going to go too far or it's or it's going to go above Diaz or just underneath his foot. It's the perfect pass, and you know, I think he's got. You know, obviously the hat trick at Old Trafford earlier this season, two goals against them this year. Um, you know, it's it seems to be a team that he, he enjoys playing against. Yeah, it's weird seeing as he went so long without a goal against Manchester United uh, for a while, and then obviously the last few seasons so since the um, Premier League win, he's he's probably scored against them more than eighty. That's five this year against Man United, <laughs> five of his twenty-two big goals. But um, and the front three as a whole was exceptional yesterday as it was against Man City on, on Saturday, really. Um, our best front three now, it's hard to pick, but do you think that Luis Diaz has now moved into, which is mad to say since he's the only right in January, but he's now in that best front three. When you're picking your best Liverpool starting eleven, is he in there? We think we obviously have the, the classic Mane, Salah, Firmino for many years. That was your, they were kind of the first three names on the team sheet, so to speak, especially in the attacking areas. And then Jotters came in maybe took Firmino's place a little bit. And it almost feels like Diaz has now came in and then took Jota's place. <laughs> <laughs> the way, you know, you can just rattle off them names saying, well, he's took his place and he's took his place. Is, it's light years away from where we were, you know, just two years ago, where if one of those front three got injured, you know, that was it. Your season was over because, you know, there was nobody to come in. You just had a Rigi and then, you know, Minamino came in. And as, as good as they've been in the Carabao Cup run, you know, you don't really want them starting week in, week out in the Premier League. So I think what's helped Diaz as well is is Mane going into that strike and you know the, the number nine position. I think that's that's made the decision to start Diaz ahead of the likes of Jota and Firmino a lot easier because I I, I think Klopp still has his two favourites in, in Mane down the left and Salah down the right. I think those two will always play week in, week out. They will play the most minutes on the pitch. Um Get sub if they get substituted, it'll be with ten minutes to go. It, it, you know, it, you never really take those two off to try and get a change in the game. But I think the way that we've, you know, Klopp's now put Mane in that number nine position, I think that you know, left hand side, it, it's there for Diaz to what to have week in week out because I don't think Jota's quite got the pace to play on the left wing, um, and I don't think he's, you know, you mentioned it last week yourself. He's a little bit wasteful with the ball, so I don't think he, he's, you know good enough in terms of possession to play on the wing to try and take men on. I think he's just turned out to be a really good goal poacher for Liverpool, which, you know, is, is a skill in itself. Um, but now that Mane's moved down the middle, I think Diaz definitely now can, can take that, that that left wing position. And with his age, you know, there's nothing to say he can't be there for the next six, seven years because I think Gary Neville said it again on, on his podcast um, after the game where he, he just hasn't seen a, a player coming in January and hit the ground running like he has. And, you know, we'd seen it previously because obviously we'd played Porto in the Champions League. 
um, in the group stages and in the knockouts. So we, we'd had little glimpses of him. Um, but I think the way he's he's just walked into this Liverpool team and taken over, really, it's just credit to himself. Yeah, it's so impressive. And do you think as well that it's helped Mane's game in the sense that now he's playing in that central position? Obviously, he's occupied that that left-hand side of the pitch for, for many years, but now he's a bit more central. It takes a little bit of the athleticism out of the game, which maybe in you know he's, he's in his early 30s now or he is this year turning 30. That's just going to help him immensely because he doesn't have to maybe track back and forth quite so much, which Diaz is a bit younger, um, probably a bit quicker, maybe a bit a bit fitter even. And just having Mane in that central position just brings a different dimension to Mane's game. And it's helping him get in a lot more goal-scoring positions because he's not having to cut in so much. He's literally in the middle of the goal the whole time. And we know how good his finishing is, as, as we saw with, with the third one last night. And against Man City on um, the weekend with the, with the second goal, obviously, in particular. Yeah, I think if there's any criticism you've got of Mane over the last 12 to 18 months is, is that potentially he just has lost that little bit of pace. He's not as as quick and as direct as he used to be because, like he said, the, usually we used to see Mane get the ball and, and take a man on down the outside, but now he's cutting in inside quite a lot and I think it became a little bit predictable, but I think it's a position that for his national team for Senegal, you know, Mane's often played down the middle. He's often played as a number 10 just behind the striker for them. And so it's, it's something that the backroom staff and you know, when Jurgen Klopp have looked at and, and thought that maybe that's something they could bring um, to to the Liverpool team. I, I just think you're seeing a, a different animal from him just since the African Cup of Nations. I think, you know, delivering that trophy for his national team as as you know, as sad it is for Salah for him to secure qualification for them at the World Cup as captain to win the trophy for them as captain. I just think it's it's just breathed a new sense of life into Mane, and he, he's always been a clinical player. But I definitely think since he's come back from from the African Cup of Nations, there, there seems to be different something different about him in front of goal. He doesn't seem to be as weight. Sometimes Mane could. Score the spectacular where he'd take two men on, cut inside and bend it in the bottom corner. But then he'd miss a two-yard, three-yard sitter that was come to him at the back post. And to me, he looks like he's got rid of those issues and he's looking like a lethal striker. Yeah, I mean, there was a time last season, wasn't there, where obviously games were behind closed doors and Liverpool generally were playing not very well, but it seemed like he couldn't hit the target for, you know, for living on money. There was, I think, one game in particular, I'm not sure if it was, might have been against Leeds or Sheffield United potentially, but I remember it being an away game where he had three or four, five even, you know, clear-cut chances, one-on-ones, you know, whole goals to aim at. And he just couldn't seem to, you know, hit the target. But now he's, like you say, especially since since African Cup of Nations, maybe that's given him, you know, a bit of a spring in his step and maybe have the opposite effect on Salah a, a little bit. But yeah, he he just absolutely he seemed revitalised. And, it, and it's great to see because... You know, come the end of the season, whether Liverpool win two, three, four trophies or however many's in the cabinet, it could be one of the greatest individual seasons of, of all time if you for, for Mane with the international trophy as well. I think if he can win an international trophy and four domestic trophies, and and of the, you know, include the Champions League and the domestic ones, I, I do definitely think you've got to put him down as potentially the all-time great. African player because no one's ever done it and if no one's ever done it and you go and do it 
then I think automatically you become it's like the whole who's the which is the best Premier League team in, in, in the history or which is the best team in British history. Well if Liverpool win all four trophies, there's no argument that that's it. The argument's done because nobody else has ever done it. So I definitely think, like I said, the African combinations has, has brought out a different animal in him. You know, we won that and then two weeks later or a week and a half late, later he's lifting the Carabao Cup and then it's think just getting that into that situation of constantly winning and winning trophies and, and scoring goals and he's scoring goals in big games again you know he, he's becoming a threat and we've always seen him do the business against likes of Southampton Norwich you know the low, Newcastle the teams you know lower down or, or just around that Europa League place but you know he's the assist for the second goal um last night it was his ball that played through Salah to lay it off to Diaz That's amazing that just, ball I think it's probably the best pass you'll see this season, um, unless Thiago wants to rival him um, anytime soon. But I, I do definitely think that we, since you know coming back with that trophy, you know we are seeing a completely different side to him. And you know his contract's due up. I think he's has he got twelve months left left on his contract after this. Yeah, I think it's the same I, salary. Yeah, um, and he hasn't. There's been no talks of an extension or two, the two parties talking, but. He continues up this vein, you know, this vein of form and in this new number nine position, and the way, that, like that front free can, you know, it's so fluid. You know, Salah can go down the middle. Sometimes Mane was on the right last night. Sometimes he was on the left. Sometimes he was down the middle. And I think we've said it before, having a, an option like that, defenses just just don't know what to do. They just lose the reds, and as soon as one goal goes in, it can end up being a cricket score. And obviously, we mentioned the massive difference between the two teams. I don't think there's ever been a gap this big between Liverpool and Manchester United, but not in our lifetimes or, or the Premier League era anyway. But it's just clear to see how high Liverpool standards are quite, you know, in a general sense. There was a little bit after half-time, obviously went in 2-0 up. Everyone probably thought that's that. Um, they'd be right to think that. You saw Man United fans leaving Anfield at half-time. There was, they played so poorly and then 2-0 flattered them, really. But there was maybe a 10-15 minute spell at the start of the second half where things got a little bit, not particularly dangerous, really, because Man United didn't really create anything. But Liverpool's standards maybe just dropped a very small amount. And you could see that Klopp was not having that at all. There was a moment where I think he was shouting at even like Virgil van Dijk. And, and the way that even at 3-0 and 4-0 and obviously at 2-0 to create the third goal that Robertson was still sprinting for every like lost cause and every 50-50 ball it was just those little things that make a real difference in the team I think you know the manager's attitude to not let a standard slip even when you're winning by a significant margin and then the players on the pitch themselves going for these lost causes even when the game's pretty much won and you know that's why Liverpool are where they are because of everything you've just said then I think there was a moment when Allison passed the ball to Van Dijk and then Van Dijk got tackled and it went out for a goal kick and then Van Dijk just got the ball and pelted it towards the advertising boards and was screaming at Allison and you know these are you know the best players in their positions and there's still shouts of Robertson was screaming at Van Dijk to come and help him and and stuff like that so I think there's everyone's got a standard now at the club and if anybody drops just even a little bit below them standards, you know, you're going to get it. I think, you know, you look at United you know, yesterday, you know, they've way, way dropped below any standards that they had under Ferguson. 
Um, but no one's there to tell them on the pitch, you need to raise the level, you need to do this, you need to do that. Whereas, yes, Jordan Henderson's the captain, but there seems to be seven, eight leaders in that Liverpool team who aren't scared to shout at each other, aren't scared to say, you're not pulling your weight, you need to come and cover me at times, or that ball needs to be quicker, this needs to be that. And I think that's what helps you get through, like you said, those 10, 15 minutes. If if you're a weak team and, and you haven't got as many like I said, leaders in your team. It only takes a 10-minute spell from a game to go from a 2-0 win to a 2-2 draw or an edgy 2-1 and, and it allows the team back into a game. You need to have those leaders from back to front. Um, and also, I think this is something that Liverpool have, have learned over the, over the last 12, 18 months, especially this season. Game management, how to see a game out. You, you don't need to play this pretty football all the time and to go at 100 miles an hour all the time, which is what Liverpool used to do. And that's why they used to be 5 4, 4 3, you know, against lower league, you know, lower position teams as well. So I think being sensible were you haven't got to go, go gung ho, know when to go down from a tackle. Um, I think, you know, I think that just helps weather the storm for that 10 minutes. And then that's it. You kick on, you get the third goal. and eventually go and get the fourth and like you said even 4-0 probably flatters United for the way they played last night um, but it's just about having those leaders and characters on the pitch Yeah I think that game management is huge especially at this time of the season where you know that any slip up can be terminal and you can lose the league title or or you know get knocked out of cup competition and in an instant having that ability to manage the games because you're not going to be able to blitz the team for 90 minutes of a match every single week it's just not possible there's going to be moments in games even when you're winning comfortably that you're going to have to deal with and we're going to come up against a lot of sterner tests in the rest of the season than we did in this in this game that we're talking about and but you know everything we've seen from Klopp's teams over the years is that they get better as the the higher the pressure is the better they are at dealing with these situations and a few years ago probably when Klopp first arrived you're right we couldn't really manage games that we were almost just a counter-attack team in the sense that we had really fantastic forwards but we needed to outscore the opposition whereas now how many times we win 1-0 and we just are really really good at keeping it compact in the, in the final minutes of games and it might be nervy for us as, as fans at times but I think the players on the pitch they just now recognise more that they're not going to be able to win 4-0 every week and when, when those difficult moments do come around they're just so much better at, at managing it and that comes down to like you said, all those leaders on the pitch, it's not just Henderson or Milner, you've got Van Dyke and Robertson and even Trent, who's one of the youngest players. He's You can already see his leadership quality shining through um, when he's when he's playing and it's just, it bodes really well well for the future. But looking at the rest of the season now, we asked, you know, asked each other a few weeks ago what we thought, how many trophies we thought we'd have in, in the cabinet. A couple of weeks have passed since we had that discussion. Um, you were a bit more confident than me. You were going for the 4-4, whereas I was <laughs> uh, sitting on the fence a little bit more and, just, uh, and saying two or three. But I think the last week is probably it's probably just reinforced the fact that if any team's going to do it, it's this Liverpool team, right? I th- there was a moment where, after I spoke to you, and we, you know, and we came off off the podcast, and we were talking to each other afterwards. Um, I, you know, I was trying to be optimistic, and you know, there was a little part of me that thought, yeah, we can do it, but it wasn't, you know, a massive thing. But I think Bayern Munich knocking Villarreal out of the Champions League makes 
makes the semi-final so much easier. I'm not saying that Villarreal won't put up, you know, a good fight. Um, but let's be honest, it's it's it shouldn't be enough to 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 worry Liverpool at all. Um, and then, you know, you're playing Chelsea now in the FA Cup, who you don't know what you're getting with them. They're either really good, like you saw against Real Madrid. Or the really bad, like what you saw against Brentford. You know, those two performances were in the space of ten days from each other. So I'm, I'm more confident than ever about the four. I, I just think there's something, something special about this team. Um, it doesn't matter who comes in. Even Naby came on for ten minutes last night. Looked unbelievable on the ball. <laughs> and it's just this is. I, I was saying to saying to my mum the other day on Sunday. I said. This is the best we'll probably ever see. This right now is probably the best you'll ever see. And you've got to savour every moment of it. And to do that, you've got to hope and you've got to think that you'll win all four trophies because a team of this quality and the way they're going on all four fronts, you know, to get through the semifinals, they've played every game of every competition again this year. Very similar to the the Gerard Houllier season. Um, But yeah, it's going to be an exciting running, but I definitely think they can do all four. But I'm not sure how much um, how much your mind has changed. Well, I've, I've got a lot more confident, um, for sure. Given how we played against City, I know that we'll come on to the, the, the City game in a little bit, in, in a bit more detail, but I know the City fans will say it was the second team or whatever and De Bruyne didn't play and Walker didn't play, but they've still got an immense amount of talent. I mean, they're saying that, Jack, that you know, £100 million Jack Grealish is not in that is in a B team basically. So, but the way we played in that first half, particularly, obviously, it got a little bit nervy towards the end. But it just kind of convinced me that we can go toe to toe with them. And whereas in the past, I think City have very much probably had the edge in the in the one off games against us when it's not been at Anfield. The way that we, you know, dug out a point at the Etihad despite not being great for 45 minutes and then we basically blew them away at Wembley as well. Yeah, it's just made me a lot more confident that, that it is possible and, you know, there's a long way to go in any slip at all. Basically, if you don't win every single match we've got left, it's probably not going to happen but the Champions League is a big help with Villarreal, as you said. We've got to respect them. They've done some fantastic things this year. Knocked out Bayern Munich, knocked out Juventus, had to beat Man United to get here in the first place in the, in the Europa League, but it's a, it's done as, the draw has done as a massive favour, really. It's nice to be on the right side of a draw for once. Um, <laughs> and you just kind of think when stuff like that's happening, you just kind of think, is it, it's almost written in the stars for us to, to go, on and, go on and do it. And the only obstacle, I guess, is that Manchester City, if, if it's them in the final, is going to be absolutely horrific to watch because that FA Cup semi-final... Um, Honestly, that was one of the worst games I've ever watched in terms of nervousness. Even though we we're freeing up at half time, I was not, I was still really worried <laughs> going into the second half. And it's just, yeah, these games against City, they're, it's a little bit like the team equivalent of the Messi and Ronaldo debate, isn't it? In years to come, I think you just, you, it's flip of a coin who's better. You prefer one or the other just based on style or your personal preference. It's really hard to say one's definitively the better team. But without them, we'd be absolutely cleaning up every single year so it's a bit annoying that they're around but I guess we've got to enjoy like you say no matter how many trophies Liverpool do go on to win this season we just have to enjoy it because it's never going to be this good 
no, you know, some people who were, you know, supporting the club in the 70s and the 80s have waited till now to see a Liverpool team for them to say we're as good as the days that they used to watch. So it just goes to show that that teams like this don't come around very often. And it's been a long process. You know, Klopp's been there seven years now and he's had to deal with the Joe Allens and the, you know, the Martin Skirtles and get to where he is. It's, it, it doesn't just happen overnight. And I think this is where United fans have got to snap back into reality. It could take them 10 years to, to get them into any sort of title challenging form. But I think, you know, we said a couple of weeks ago that, you know, the free tricky fix, the trickiest fixture for Liverpool really is, is Spurs at home. But even with the way Spurs are playing, nobody wants that fourth spot in the Premier League. Everyone's doing the best they can to avoid getting Champions League football this year. Um, you know, getting beat by Burnley, getting beat by Brighton. Um, so in terms of the league, I, I, I don't see a difficult fixture for Liverpool, just purely on the basis of the way they're playing. And even with the difficult games we've had, you know, the potential Burnley game away, which, you know, could have been a banana skin, you know, Liverpool going win 1-0 and it's a gritty performance. Again, go back to the leaders. So, I th- you know, I definitely think the FA Cup now. And then, you know, it's... Like I said, definitely think they can still win the league and the Champions League because, you know, Pep will do something crazy and play four number 10s in the final and play no CDM again because whenever he gets these big games, you know, his head seems to go and he seems to work overtime and do something daft. But if there's anyone who's going to do it, like you said, it's, it's definitely this Liverpool team from front to back, substitutes that can come on, you can, the way they can rest players and bring Kanate in. Simakas in, you know, Oxley Chamberlain is is still a very good squad player, but hasn't been involved in three of the last last four match day squads. He can't even get on the bench. Still got Gomez, Firmino. It, it, the list goes on, and it's absolutely ridiculous. And four trophies is what this club, what this team, and what this club deserves this season. Yeah, Man City have got that Real Madrid in the semi final as well, and whereas City, you know, City are undoubtedly a better team than Real Madrid, but Real Madrid have arguably got the best number nine in the world at the moment. Karen Benzema's form is unbelievable. And the fact that they have, on paper, a significantly harder semi-final could also work in Liverpool's favour because while City have got, obviously, a massive squad and they can rotate, I think we saw in the, in the, in the FA Cup semi-final the effects of what they had to deal with from playing Atletico and how hard Atletico forced them to, to play, in a sense. And... Real Madrid games are not going to be easy. They might not be quite as physically demanding as Atletico in terms of the amount of injuries and knocks they're going to pick up, but it's too much more demanding fixtures for their bodies to cope with, whereas, obviously, it's not a given that Liverpool will beat for their out, but you would expect it to be an easier ride on on our guys. And we may even, you know, have a chance to rotate in, in the away fixture if, if you, we've done well in the, in the first game, similarly to what we did against Benfica. So, there's that to take into consideration as well that the actual intensity of the Champions League fixtures because of, uh, of City playing Real Madrid could could cause them to slip up in the in the league because <laughs> there's no easy games in the Premier League and it takes one small issue to to derail you. Well, I mean, all we're really asking for is a draw in the in the league. You know, we're not, we're not asking for City to get you know to lose two games or to get beat and to draw a game. You know, 
just looking at it, is can City drop two points at any point this season? <coughs> Excuse me. And um, like you said, you know, Atletico Madrid are a much more physical side compared to Real Madrid. But Madrid are masters of the dark arts as well in terms of going down and, and crowding the referee and trying to get decisions when there isn't really a decision there. And there's just something about Real Madrid and the Champions League. They always seem to get, you know, the, like the Marcus Alonso handball. There's no way that's a handball, but it's it's Real Madrid. It's the Bernabeu. It's, it's, it's like Liverpool in the Champions League. There's always something about, you know, the, the affiliation with it. And you've always think Liverpool have got a chance. And it's the exact same for Real Madrid. You, you always think no matter who they've got, they've still got a really good chance of going through and, like you said, the, it's it's mad to think that they had a hundred million pound Jack Grealish on the pitch, City, and you know you're talking about the B teams, and th- there was a massive drop off. You know, having Fernandinho midfield looked like he was running through quicksand at times, and I think the main issue they've got now is the likes of De Bruyne and, and Kyle Walker is how quickly do you rush them back because you know De Bruyne does seem to pick injuries up pretty frequently, and going into this final stretch of the season. Do you throw him in, for example, time of recording, Brighton tonight, and then something happens to him against Brighton, and then he, all of a sudden he misses three games? And we've seen that, yes, City can still create chances, but with De Bruyne, they'll create 10 chances instead of five. Um, I think that's where Liverpool have got the advantage with a fully strength squad. City have got a few players coming back from an injury to work out where to play them because City are basically playing a game every couple of days now um, with the Champions League and and the and, and the run into the end of the season. Um, where do you fit these players in? Do you rush them back? Do you not? And that's a headache that I'm glad Jurgen Klopp doesn't have. Now, obviously, we've spoken a lot about a lot of positives um, <clears throat> today, but there's a few negatives we really need to discuss. And we've spoke about this issue before. Um, and it's reared its head again, sadly, in the last two fixtures for Liverpool against Manchester City in the FA Cup and um, Manchester United in the, in, the, in the league as well. And it is the Hillsborough chance again that have somehow started to creep back into, into, the, into the fans. Um, we saw in the Manchester City game um, a disruption of the minute silence um, for, the, for the 97 victims of the, of the Hillsborough disaster, so much so that the referee had to actually cut the silence short because there was so much disruption from the Man City fans and, and Man City released a statement apologising for their fans' conduct. And then last night at Anfield, there was a lot of videos circulating on social media today of Manchester United fans. And it's not even, you know, a small minority that you often say. You could hear it on the TV. And um, when you see the videos, there's obviously quite a lot of individuals taking part in, in chants about... Um, and Hillsborough and we've discussed this before and how even though you know in 2022 and we've had the inquests and we've had the fans exonerated and we've had you know we know that it was not the fans to blame and that's you know legally been proven now that this stuff is still happening and I think it's really time for opposition teams to take a strong stance on it because Fair play to Manchester City. They were really quick to release a statement and condemn condemning their their fans for doing it. And Wembley's not their stadium, so they might not have access to all the the CCTV cameras and all the ways of identifying people. But you know, 
the, the, the video, particularly yesterday from the Man United fans, it's clear to see these guys on who's singing these songs. And I think you need clubs to be stronger on it and start issuing banning orders for this kind of thing. Because it seems to be happening far too often. And it's just such a shame given how there was a really nice, well, not nice isn't the right word, but there was a really um, touching moment earlier in the game where obviously both sets of fans came together to have a minute's applause for Cristiano Ronaldo, who said very sadly lost his his newborn son earlier in the week. And the whole of Anfield was clapping and singing You'll Never Walk Alone. And it was a real moment of unity and the very best of what football can be. And then in the very same fixture, we've seen the very worst of what football can be with supporters are mocking, uh, are basically mocking a, a tragedy that saw nine to seven people lose their lives. It, it's becoming beyond a joke now. Um, we've even seen teams, now no, no disrespect, but teams as small as the likes of Shrewsbury make the same sort of jokes, uh, trying, you know, singing the same songs. And so it, it's not just, you can't even put it down to a rivalry thing where, you know, it's, it's, it's Liverpool and City going for all the, all the competitions and, and the fans are just trying to get a reaction. It's Liverpool United, the history's there between the two teams and, it's, it's the rivalry coming out between the fans. You know, you, like I said, you've got Shrewsbury Town doing it. Um, we, we, you know, you've also had to feed the Scousers every time Liverpool were playing somebody around Christmas time. You know, we spoke about it then, but I just think these... I, I understand with, with Manchester City how quick they were to respond. Um, you know, Gary Lineker you know, read the statement out at half-time, which you know, was 45 minutes in it the game going on it like you said it, it, it was a pretty quick statement but if if nothing comes out of it in terms of banning banning fans then there's just no point no point releasing a statement really because it, it's got it's got no backbone about it we're still waiting on Manchester United to release any sort of statement or to, to condemn anything I mean it's now 10 past five on Wednesday and there's still no no word from Manchester United condemning it um, you know, which is the same because, like you said, you know, you, you never want you never want what's happened to Ronaldo to happen, and you never want to have to do that during a game. You, you never want to have to, you know, show support for somebody for something that should never, you know, that's horrible to imagine and, and shouldn't you never wish it upon anyone. Um, but even in a big rivalry game like that, everything gets put to the side and. You know, as a Liverpool fan, and it was, you know, there's a sense of pride where you go, well, you know, that's my club standing up and doing something for another player who doesn't play for the team. And it's a heartwarming gesture, like you said, very touching. But it just seems to be, for some reason, for Liverpool, for Liverpool in general as a city, Liverpool fans, it just seems to be this, let's all laugh at Liverpool for, for whatever, whether it's, you know, for food banks and, Poverty and, and obviously the Hillsborough disaster. It's you know it, it is it's horrible. It's a shame. It's sickening. And unless people start getting banned from stadiums for doing it, nothing. I can't see it changing. I can't because we're seeing play. You know, fans getting you know banned for life for running onto the pitches and picking up corner flags and um, you're seeing it for. You know, racist chance, which yet yeah, you know is a horrible, horrible thing. But you then 
people to laugh at to laugh at death, to laugh at people losing loved ones, you'd put that on the same level. And I think, you know, if if, if you're given punishments for for stuff like that, you know, people get prison sentences for for illegally watching games on streams, and you've got people going to the games who who, who are shouting whatever they like with with absolutely no punishment, and it, it, it's sickening. Um, but I just can't see it stopping unless there is some sort of punishment for it. Yeah, and a common kind of rebuttal from these rebuttal, sorry, from these um, so-called fans who are singing this is quite often they try and blur the lines between the Hillsborough disaster and the Heisel um, disaster, as if that is in some way a justification that oh no, we weren't singing about Hillsborough, we were actually singing about Heisel because uh, you know the thirty-nine Italian fans who, who passed away in that awful disaster in 1985 but like that's in any way makes it okay off so so what you're trying to point score instead off the deaths of 39 people that lost their lives like it doesn't make it any less abhorrent or any less disgusting and a lot of the time it's just like a thinly veiled fig leaf to actually have a go at Hillsborough they've just used this as a handy kind of backup oh we're singing about Heisel actually despite the fact they were obviously in last night's Example, they were making reference to the Sun headline from the Hills disaster. So there's obviously a very, very clear link there between the two. And and obviously with the Highsville disaster, it was horrendous and it was it should never have happened. But yeah, people were prosecuted. People were did go to prison. English clubs were banned from playing in European competition for years because of it. Liverpool were banned for you know six years from playing in European competition. As a result, there was legal action and consequences that occurred off the back of it whereas with the Hillsborough disaster there's clearly been over 30 years of cover-up and scandal and trying to put the blame on the people who weren't to blame on on the fans and as football fans that's something we should all be united on in the sense that that could happen to anyone Tottenham fans very very nearly a year or two before had the exact same thing happen to them at the Hillsborough um stadium because of the the facilities and how unsafe it was there almost the identical thing occurred for, for Tottenham that they were fortunate on that day where Liverpool was the tragically unfortunate when, when when it was in 1989. So this is something that fans should unite over, not use as a way to mock or divide each other because it could literally have happened to anyone. But for some reason, when it's Liverpool, as you say, James, there seems to be an attitude that everything's fair game. And if you get annoyed about it, well, you know, Scousers like to make everything about them type thing, which is another common, common thing that's thrown around when it's just, it's just pathetic, really. I think a lot of it as well is, I think you know, I've seen the guy's Twitter account, the guy who uploaded the video, and you you can see the people who was shouting it. It, It's it's young fans, and it's this it's this social media world that we're all living in at the moment, where people can say whatever they want. And if you react, that's it. They've got you. They've, they've, they've done it. You've, you've been ratioed or whatever they say. Or, you know, it's. I, f- I think that's what it is. I think this world we live in at the moment where people say stuff behind a keyboard on fake accounts on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. And then they take that then into the real world thinking, well, I can say it in the real world as well. And, you know, I was having this discussion with my partner and we, you know, we were talking about it and I'm, I'm reiterate to like what I said before is I do think it's a Liverpool thing, whether it's Liverpool or Everton. 
or Tranmere, you know, the three teams on Merseyside. I do think it's it's specifically the area. I, I think, like we spoke spoke about at Christmas time, the poverty songs, Feed the Scousers. That's only sang at Liverpool. That's only ever sang towards those teams from Merseyside. It's never sang to the clubs from Manchester or you know in the northeast or the Midlands or London, where poverty is through the roof in those places. Yeah. It just seems to be about you know Liverpool and in terms of the the Hillsborough chance. You know, I just think it's this young generation now who are doing anything and saying anything for a laugh to try and get the likes, the retweets, the so they can go home to the mates and say, listen, this is what I did at Anfield on Tuesday. You know. Um, but you know, until they do something, until they start banning people, you know, younger generations are going to keep come on, you know, keep coming through to the games, and you know, going to always constantly come through. And you need to put a stop to it before even younger generations start to think that it's acceptable to start shouting that at people. Yeah, completely agree. And hopefully, we see some firmer action in in the future. A um, couple more things to cover before we go. So, as Liverpool were. Uh, Winning 4 0 against Manchester United last night. Fulham were, were coming back to the Premier League um, with a win over Preston North End. And while that's not probably necessarily something you'd expect on a Liverpool podcast, one of their young, bright talents is looking pretty likely to be a, a Liverpool player next next season in Fabio Carvalho. I think it's all but signed, really. Um, a lot of reliable reports say that it is a done deal. Um, obviously, it's one we tried to get over the line in January didn't quite work out given the time constraints on, on deadline day, but we're not, we were never really in danger of him going elsewhere. I think, I think a lot of the hard work had been done in terms of the medical and personal terms being agreed and that kind of thing. So no surprise that he's set to set to sign, but another, you know, very, very young, very exciting attacking talent coming to Liverpool. Um, It's, uh, you know, it's only a a good thing, isn't it? It's massive. I think you know, no matter how good a team is, as, as good as Liverpool are, you know, the club have got to look into, you know, into the future in the next five, six, seven years to, and start planning for, for where they want to be, who they want in the squad, who's going to be around. Um, or else you end up in a mess like, you know, Arsenal and Manchester United are in where you're just looking to win now and that you're, you're blind to see, you know, what can happen around the corner. And, you know, it would be another good pickup from Fulham. Obviously, we got Harvey Elliott there a couple of seasons ago and, you know, me and you have spoken about how good we think he is, um, how talented he is. He can, you know, play on the right wing or play the right of a midfield free. So, you know, they do have a reputation of you know, delivering good young talent. And I think, you know, I'm not, can't say I've, I've sit and watch every Fulham game, you know, week in, week out. But, you know, if you look at him, nine goals, seven assists in, in 32 games as a 19-year-old is inarguably... You know, the most physical league, you know, out to the four leagues, it's where you often send your youngsters to, to go out on loan to get experience, to, to go up against the, the big boys, really, to, to get used to getting bumped to the ground and, and getting back up and, you know, having, you know, to, to fight against men, you know, 10 years older than you. Um, you know, it's a good learning ground for them. And I think the most telling thing is, is the no loan back. I think, obviously, Liverpool are looking at him. The Jurgen Klopp's looking at him thinking... You know, he's probably good enough to go straight onto the Liverpool bench and you know, can, can play the cup games, which you know, I, th- I think is absolutely massive in terms of credit f- to himself and what sort of ability he's got because we often see it where 
big club sign a young player and then he'll go on loan straight back to them or he'll go on loan to somebody else and you know, lower it down in the Premier League. Um, obviously, we signed Harvey Elliott, then he went to Blackburn on loan. So um, you do often see that with youngsters to try and get that potential out of them. But with a full season under his belt at Fulham, you know, it, it looks like he's, he's probably ready to make that next step up. Yeah, he's very versatile as well in that he can play he kind of is a, it's a traditional number 10 as well as uh, out wide. So I imagine he could be in, in those front three positions or as an option in, in the midfield potentially as well. So it's very exciting um, to see. And, with, you know, you can see the seeds of a future team being built slowly with you know, Trent's obviously still only 23, isn't he? And then you've got the likes of Harvey Elliott, Curtis Jones, now Carvalho, and then even younger with the likes of Clyde Gordon, who's kind of made a bit of a breakthrough in the cup competitions this season. Um, so, yeah, so the future is looking bright. And next up for Liverpool, just before we go, we'll have a, a bit of a word on the next fixture, which is in the Premier League against Everton. Merseyside derby on Sunday at Anfield. Um, Everton, at time of recording, are three points above the relegation zone. They have a fixture against Leicester City, again, at time of recording tonight. So they could... It could be a, a little bit away from that, depending on what, on how the results go. But you can't really see anything other than a, another convincing Liverpool win in this one. I mean, Everton have they've done a little bit better at, at Goodison Park of late, but away from home, they're still a bit of a train wreck. <laughs> I mean, the, the, away from home, the, the shipping goals for fun. I think any team who concedes three goals to Burnley deserves to go down automatically. I think. <laughs> it's, just, it's very rare that Burnley get two goals, never mind three. Um, and Sean Dyche even turned around and said they don't know how to win. So if you've got a manager who's just been sacked saying the opposition manager doesn't know how to get his team to win, I think there's cause for concern there. But I think, you know, I think they're probably out of it, Everton, regardless of the result tonight. I, I think they'll... Burnley sacking the manager is is a terrible decision, and I think that's what will ultimately send them down. Um, I, don't, I know Lampard's come out today, I think it was, or yesterday, and they said we can't let the manager, the sacking of Sean Dice, get into our heads, thinking that you know we've already stayed up. This is it because you know they have got some difficult fixtures coming up, starting with us on Sunday. But I'm expecting no disrespect to Everton. You know I've got Everton fans in the family. You know, as funny as it has been to to you know take the piss out of them this season, I, I can't see another four five nil for Liverpool this weekend. I just think they'll sit deep and they'll try to nick a draw. And as soon as that first one goes in, you know it's like a game of dominoes. As soon as the first one falls, you know they, they all tend to go with them. And um, at Goodison, they, you know they did show little spells, you know with Damari Gray scoring a goal and you know, did look up threatening for about ten minutes, but. I think at Anfield, they've only won once in my lifetime, once or twice in my lifetime at Anfield. So um, I'm not expecting them to, to get another one. And I think it's another chance for Salah and Mane and whoever plays alongside them to increase the goal scoring tally this season. I think there could be a bit of rotation in the team um, in the sense that this kind of period of April that we've had now, obviously we're, we're pretty much three quarters of the way through 20th of April. A lot of the difficult uh, games in this month came at the start with the two City games and the the United game. Now we've got 
wouldn't, don't want to say like an easy run necessarily, but it's Everton, then Villarreal and the Champions League, then Newcastle. It's, it, on paper, it looks a little nicer for us just to finish the month off in the next 10, 10 days or so. Could we expect maybe starting with this Everton game a little bit of bit of rotation in the sense, maybe see a Canate come in, maybe, you know, someone like a Curtis Jones gets a start or, or, or Giotta, for example? I think if you're going to do it, you do it now in terms of the rotation because something tells me that we'll we'll rotate Sunday to try and get the first leg over and done with at Anfield on you know on Wednesday night against Villarreal because like we said before you go into the next couple of games again okay you've got Villarreal away midweek but you can rotate there and still bring players in and if you've got a good result in the first leg you know you should be able to get through it so I mean it's weird Oh, no, with Kloppert against Everton, they're always he does always throw a wild card change in there. I remember we played Everton at home and he threw um, Dominic Solanke up front, who hadn't scored a Premier League goal all season, and all of a sudden he, he got a start against Everton. So yeah. Yeah. I don't think it's necessarily, you know, going to be a game where we're going to have to play all of our, our, you know, best players. I think, like you said, you could. Comfortably bring in Simicasa Canate, give Naby 90 minutes, and then have a front three of you know Jota, Diaz, Salah. Bring one of them off, two of them off after an hour if you're two three nil up. Then bring you know Firmino on, or you know give maybe Chamberlain some minutes. But this is you know the wonderful situation Liverpool are in at the moment, where we're going into a Merseyside derby and we're talking about resting our best players because we're still confident of of getting a result. Um, like you said, I, I think depending on how you know, City get on tonight and how they get on at the weekend, you know, if they do slip up and drop any points, then I think it makes Jurgen Klopp's decision to, to make changes a little bit easier. Um, but I definitely think against Everton, possibly against Newcastle, to make some changes in terms of going all in on that Villarreal game to try and get the tie done and dusted so you can, like I said, rest those players for the second leg. Yeah, we may even see some minutes off the bench for Mr. Everton, Divokaridi himself. Uh, <laughs> I remember a few, a few years ago, um, might have been the year we won the title actually at Merseyside Derby at Anfield with the front three with Shakiri, Origi, and, and Mane. That was another one where Klopp uh, rotated quite heavily and obviously worked in our favour. But that's all for, for this week. We'll be back next week to discuss the Merseyside Derby um, and look ahead to the Champions League and more. So, James, thank you for your time as always. No problem. Always good to talk about the Reds at this this moment in time. Absolutely. Um, yeah, we'll be back next week. Until then, you can get plenty more from us on our Twitter at Anfield underscore Central and on our website, anfieldcentral.co.uk. But thank you and goodbye.